Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, amen. Uh, Good morning, everybody. If I haven't said hi yet, uh, thank you for being here and worshiping our God. Uh, He's present. He's close. Uh, We ask Him to bless His Word. Uh, This week I was in a meeting and somebody asked me, hey, what's the mission of the church? What's What's the purpose of the church? And I looked around, anybody else know it? And I was, (laughs) you know, to lead people to a life-changing and ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. The emphasis on that mission statement is to lead people, to meet with God, to know God, to follow God, to walk with God, to be in relationship with God. And so at the church, we do everything we can to facilitate relationships that grow people, to send people on mission trips to grow people, to uh, have people in, in, in encounter practices that grow them in the Lord, worship services, small groups, whatever, Bible reading, the different things that help us grow. The emphasis in our mission statement is moving towards God. The emphasis in our mission statement is you pursuing God, you seeking God out. But it occurred to me as as I read through that Psalm 139 this week, what is our side of the equation? Uh, It's it's to pursue Him, it's it's go after Him, but our side, but what about God's side? What is God doing? What is God acting? How is God acting? How is God moving? Um... You come here today, maybe life has been good recently, maybe things are going your way, maybe everything's falling in order as you would see it, as you would script it, but maybe not. Maybe things are hard right now, or challenging right now, or difficult right now. And maybe because of life's happening, when you hear that mission statement, you're like, oh, I need to work harder, I need to move towards God, I need to pursue God, but what is God doing? And the question today as we enter into this psalm is, does God pursue me? Does God care for me? Do I matter to God? This is something we don't often ask, something we don't often search out and seek out. And so today we come to one of the most famous psalms in the book of Psalms, and it's a a personal hymn of David's. Uh, Many of our hymns in the book of, of Psalms are corporate hymns. The we, we sing to God, we praise God, but this is a personal hymn of David to God where he's wrestling with God's knowledge of him. And what does it mean? Please open your Bibles to Psalm 139. Christians, do you matter to God? Does God care for you? Does He take an interest in you? Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And so David, uh, the superscription there says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. It's not part of the original text, but we have no reason to doubt it. David wrote this. We're not sure of the timing of this, uh, the, the place, the setting in his life, why he felt he wanted to write this song, this, this musical song that was to be sung. But he did. And he starts off with, with the acknowledgement, with the confession, with the uh, understanding that God has searched him and known him. Yahweh, you have sifted me. You have sought me. You have looked at me. You've discerned me. And you've come to know me. Now, for some, that might be a frightening prospect that God sees everything about you. Nothing is hidden. But David doesn't have that fear, that anxiety. He has peace about it because he knows the character of God. He knows the love of God. He describes for us uh, all the ways that God knows him. He knows when I sit down, and when I rise up. He knows my comings and goings. He knows everything that we've done this week. Oh, Christian, he knows where you've gone to work, uh, when you've lied down, when you uh, got out of the wind. He knows everything about your week. He knows your thoughts from afar. He discerns everything that has gone through our mind. All the good thoughts, all the bad thoughts, all the mean thoughts, or all the joyful thoughts, all the thoughts of happiness, all the thoughts of sadness. He knows them all. He discerns them all. He's seen them all. There hasn't been a thought that's gone through your mind that he hasn't seen or understood. He is the all-seeing one. Even before a word is on my tongue, God knows what you're going to say before you're going to say it. He doesn't question. He doesn't, he doesn't wonder. He doesn't say, oh, I wonder what Jerron's going to do today. I wonder what he's going to say today. He already knows it all. David looks at that and, 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 he, and he says in verse 5, you hem me in. You put a hedge around me like his knowledge. God's knowledge is so great. It's like this, this, it's behind me. He understands everything that's gone behind my life, in the past of my life. He goes before me. He knows everything that's coming in my life. He hedges me in with his knowledge. He, nothing comes into my life that he doesn't allow. Nothing comes into my life that he doesn't know that's going to happen. You lay your hand upon me. Now, that could be negative or positive, but in this context, it's positive. It's not a disciplinarian hand, even though that's loving. It's, it's a guiding hand. It's a leading hand. It's not a punishing hand in this context. It's an all-powerful hand that the knowledge of God is carrying me. He's moving me. He's taking my hand through the darkness. He's taking my hand through the troubles. He knows everything. And for David, it's a wonderful thing. It's too wonderful for me. Such knowledge, the knowledge of God, my knowledge of God is so limited. It's this, this knowledge that I, it just blows me away. The knowledge that I have of Him is knowledge that I can't understand. 
is high, I cannot attain it. So we step back, and as, as theologians, if we were writing a theological textbook, we'd say that God knows everything. The $5 fancy word for that is God is omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that he does not know. Throughout the world, he knows you and, and me. He knows the people in Korea. He knows the people in Russia. He knows every person. But he knows all the facts about the universe. He knows what's happening on Venus right now. He knows what's happening in that galaxy far, far away. He knows it all. He's omniscient. He's got all knowledge. He lacks nothing when it comes to knowledge. But David's point, as David is meditating, as he's praying, as he writes this, this hymn to be sung in the house of God, he knows that God has looked upon him, that God has paid attention to him, that God has been knowledgeable about him, that God is is intimate with him. You wonder sometimes, perhaps, Christian, if God cares about what you're going through, God knows it all. You wonder sometimes, Christian, if he's interested in you, in your activity, your day, your life. David says, he watches me all the time. He has searched me. He's discerned everything about me. God is interested. Christian, you matter to God. He's not this disinterested deity way out in, in the, the, the universe. He hasn't started this world, wound it up, and just let it go. He's present in your life, in my life. He's seen it all. And He still cares for you. He still loves you. David moves on in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And we, we wonder, like, what, what's David saying here? Like, is David, like, almost like a, a negative sense? Like, oh, he knows everything. I need to get out of here. I need to run. I, where, where could I go if I needed to go somewhere? And, and I wish we had a voice recording, like, to hear the tone. But I don't think it's a negative thing. I don't think this is, it's a fearful thing. He's like, maybe it's more along the lines, man, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave, leave the God I love. Maybe it's like, man, if, if, I, if I tried to run from God, could I, could I go somewhere without him? And the answer is no. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And so some of your translations, they talk about the heavenly realms, the city of God, or, or maybe hell. But I think the translation, the way it is here in the ESV, the, the heavens, the sky, if I go to the sky, if I go to the highest sky, or if I make my bed in the grave, if I go to the deepest part of the earth, you're there. I can't leave your spirit. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the upper, uppermost parts of the sea. In other words, the wings of the morning. Some of your translations talk about the, ray, the rays of the morning. If I look to the east where the sun rises, if I go as far as I can to the east, if I keep moving towards the east, will I escape God's presence? No, because He's there. If I go to the up, up, uttermost parts of the sea. In other words, if I, from Israel's point of perspective, if I, if I move around uh, to the west... If I, if I keep going to the west, will I escape God's presence? If I pull a Jonah and run away, 
will I escape God? No, I won't. God will be there too. High and low, east and west, wherever I would go, God would be there. And notice verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. What a blessing that is, to know that wherever I go, God is with me and He sees me. He's present and He knows me. He's got my hand. Brothers and sisters, know that in Christ you're in the grip of grace. God has you no matter what this world brings. No matter what troubles or trials or tribulations, no matter what fears come your way, you cannot leave the presence of God because God is making sure He's present to you. We know from this side of the cross that God has sent His Spirit into our life. God is always present. So we, we step back from this and we look at what a theologian would say and he would say that God is omnipresent. The big theological word, He's, he's everywhere. There's nowhere you can go that you won't find God. The theologian might say that God is transcendent. Like uh, I, I read somewhere recently that if I were try to, trying to send a message to the ed edge of the universe and it moved at the speed of light, it would take 15 billion years to get there. But we remember from the scriptures from Genesis 1 that God created the universe. In other words, He created this universe. He's, he created it like a tent with the stars and the suns and the moon and all, all the heavenly bodies. And, and He's outside of that. He's transcendent. He's beyond the universe. And yet, He's also imminent. He's near. He's close. Wherever you go in this world, God is imminent. He's near. He's close. He's present. But David's point in this song of worship and praise is that no matter where I go, you're present with me, God. You never leave me. You never forsake me. If I wanted to run away, I couldn't. Even the darkness, even if I turned off all the lights, your spirit would still find me. And there's this aspect, this, this heart of love here. There's this heart of, of, of God moving towards us, God caring about us, God being intimately involved in us. Like He's watching you. Not with, a, with this attitude of, I'm going to squish your on, kind of an attitude, but an attitude of, that's my creation. That's the one I love. Don't you think for a moment, Christian, that you're unworthy? Now, in, in, in the big scheme of things, we've rebelled against God, we've sinned against God, we've not measured up to God's glory, of course, but in Christ, He's, he's, he's come all the way for us. He's called us to be His. He, he's paid every price to make us His. He wants us to be with Him. The world might say that you're unworthy or unlovable or not good enough, but God's presence keeps coming. The hound of heaven keeps looking after you and keeps moving towards you, keeps calling your name, even when you're trying to run away in your sin, even when you're trying to avoid God in your guilt and your shame, He keeps pursuing you and calling you back to Himself. 
because He loves you and you matter to Him. He bought you with His blood. You're His now and forevermore. He is not going to leave you or abandon you. Verse 13. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book are written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so these verses we hear often in, ter in terms of uh, the pro-life movement, and rightfully so. We read here about God's love of His creation, how He's intimately involved with the babies in the womb even before they are formed. There is this love that God has for His creation. Uh, David reflects on this. David maybe knows nothing of what happens in the interior parts of a woman, but he knows that God is the one who made him. And he uses uh, a metaphor, an analogy of a knitter or, or a weaver, the grand weaver, putting things together as the, as the weaver sees fit, an embroiderer, making something beautiful, paying attention, looking closely at every detail, in the depths of the earth, in my mother's womb, as it were, God was there. Darkness, he sees everything, but he was there making sure I was going to be just the man he wanted me to be. When I grew up in uh, Arizona, um, the, the vast majority of my classmates, uh, they didn't have white skin. And I always felt like, uh, because I was always the whitest person in the room, I always felt bad about that. I always wanted to be dark like my, my, my brown and black friends. And I was always embarrassed that I was so white. I always wanted to be different than I was. And yet we come here and we read this, that God made you, Christian, just the way He wanted. He knit you together in His mother's womb just the way He wanted. You are precious in His sight. He's created you to be just the way He wanted in your personality, in your strengths, in your weaknesses. He has a purpose for it. The grand weaver doesn't make any mistakes. Red, yellow, black, and white are precious in His sight, just as He made them. So we step back and we look at this and we say, wow, God, God makes... You know, we, we know it's not just a genetic thing. He didn't just wind things up and make this DNA process. The genetics happen. He's intricately involved in some fashion, in some way that you can't see through a microscope or you can't see through a scan. He's present. And not only is he present in the intricate details and the smallest of details at the cellular level, he's present at the big end too because even before I'm formed, he's already planning my future. Even before I'm put together as a zygote or, or a fetus or whatever the scientists want to call it, even before I'm put together in that way, God is already looking to the future and he's already writing, as it were, in his book every day that I'm going to have. 
He looks at the small things. He's paying attention. He knows me inside and out. He's looking at the big things. He's looking at the world perspective. He's looking at the future. And he knows it all that's going to happen. Your 20 years or your 80 years or your 100 years, if you live that long, he knows it all. He's already planned it. Already written it in his book. His knowledge of you is infinite. He can't know any more than he already knows of you. And it's because he was present before you were born and he was already planning before you are born your future. So we, we step back and we say, well, that's omnipotence. There's nothing God can't do. How great is our God? There's nothing he can't plan. There's nothing he can't accomplish. How great is our God? How mighty and, and powerful our God. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all the things the theologians say, say he is. He's great. But David steps back in his hymn, his, his prayer. And maybe you go home and you pray today and you pray some of these things and he says, God, man, I praise you. You don't make no junk. Fearfully, and wonderfully made. I praise you, Lord, for how you put my life together and how you're unfolding my life, how you're <laughs> planning my life and how you, you're going to accomplish things that I have no clue about. You're going to work through me to do what you want to do. How great you are. And, and, you, and, and, and we look at this and we say, God, I'm sorry for ever thinking that you didn't care about me. I'm sorry for ever thinking that you were absent from me when you've been present all my days, even before my conception, you knew me. And you love me. Please, maybe, maybe you went through some abuse as a child. Maybe you've gone through a terrible life and you wonder why you're here or why you matter. Maybe you think you're unworthy in some sense or unimportant, or you're not valuable. You matter to God, for He made you. You matter to God, and He loves you. He's deeply interested in you. He always has been. He always will be. In verse 17, he reflects on what he's been saying. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Now, uh, that verse 18, I am awake and I am still with you. What does that mean? In what context? In what setting? Like he's been talking about being in his mother's womb, being formed in his mother's womb. And so is that when, when birth takes place? Like there's been all these thoughts, this innumerable number of thoughts about him before he's born? Or when it says, I awake, is that talking about resurrection after I die and I, I come back to life? I'm still with you. Or is that a day-by-day -day awakening? Like when I wake up after I sleep, God, you're still present. God, you're still thinking of me. It's poetry. We don't know. But do you see what David's seeing? He's like, God, you're always thinking of me. 
This whole life, when I was in my mother's womb, I mean, how many thoughts did it take for you to, to knit together all the cells and the sinews and the flesh? How, did, how, how many thoughts did it take to get all my brain synapses to be firing? How many thoughts did it take to get all my, my cardio systems and my vascular systems and, and all my muscle systems to work? Your thoughts of me are incredible. In this life, I mean, how many, new, like more than the grains of the sand on the seashore, an uncountable amount of thoughts you've thought of my whole life. And, and even when I go to sleep, you're still with me. And when I wake up, you're still with me. And at the end of my days, all these thoughts for 20 years or 80 years or 100 years, you've been thinking of me. Man, you're always thinking of me. And it's not like a pride thing. It's not like, like this arrogant thing. Because this is a psalm of worship, a psalm of praise to God. He's exalting God. But, but, he's, but he's stepping back and he's, he's just, he's amazed. I, your thoughts of me, I just, I can't believe it. They're precious to me. Uh, I don't know, maybe this week you're going through a, a terrible week. Or maybe you just got a diagnosis. Or maybe you're frustrated by something. Or something is just tearing you apart uh, in your life. And maybe you wonder if God cares for you or, or if you matter to God. Or if God is, is watching you and David's saying he is. Maybe nobody else cares right now what you're going through, but God does. He knows everything. He searched you. He's thought about you. He's planned for you. He, he's the one who's, you know, he, he's the, the chef over the stove that just keeps stirring things. He's paying attention to your life and to my life. You do matter to God. And we, we, we look at this and, and we, we should come to some, some conclusions, shouldn't we? If God has searched you and He knows me and there's nothing hidden from His sight, if He's seen my thoughts and my emotions and my feelings, whether they be angry feelings or whether they be joyful feelings, if He knows everything completely, why in the world would I fake things before God? Why in the world would I be, be a pretender before God? Why in the world would I act in a fake way or, or a, a, why would I uh, not be real with God? Why wouldn't I be transparent with God? Why wouldn't I tell Him the truth? Why would I feel like I have to walk in eggshells around Him? Why would I feel like I have to be fake around Him or, or be holier than thou around Him? It seems like this relationship thing, like, our church is calling you to move closer to God. We're trying to make you a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, to pursue Jesus. That shouldn't be a, an unnatural thing, should it? And God coming towards us, he, he wants to know us. He wants to be intimate with us. He's, he's taking care of us. He's watching over us. It should be this relationship of reality. Not just telling God what He wants to hear, but sharing our life with Him and sharing our heart with Him and being present to Him. You don't need to pretend around God. You don't need to act like you're something you're not around God. He already sees you inside and out. Why not talk to Him with your real emotions? Why not... 
be present to him in a real, honest, transparent, authentic way. And I, I think we have an example of that in the next section here. Listen to David's words. Listen to his emotions and his feelings. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Did you see that one coming? Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. He's talking to God here. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Is that really in the Bible? That's really in the Bible. Now what's going on here? I think that David, even as he writes this psalm, this hymn of praise for a holy setting, he feels like he can be transparent with God. He doesn't have to pretend. He doesn't have to act. He calls it as he sees it because he trusts God. We don't know, the, again, the circumstance of the psalm or the setting, what year it was, but David saw some wicked stuff. He had some stuff happen to him that was evil. And so he says, God, this is great. You pay attention to me. Your thoughts of me are incredible. You know me inside and out. You're always present with me. But there's one thing, Lord, I, I struggle with, that you allow the wicked to go on in their way. Why don't you blow them up, Lord? Why don't you destroy them? Why don't you take them out, Lord? And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite the thing when, when we can be real with God and we can share our heart with God and we can share everything that we are with God. Uh, when we can come and we can turn it over to Him and we can say, uh, you know, the world says take vengeance. The world says destroy others that destroy you. The world says, man, get even. You watch enough movies on Netflix or whatever, you see it again and again, the same themes like vengeance, vengeance, destroy, get even. You know, it, it just, it's the worldly way of thinking. But God gives us a pathway here to express our real emotions to Him. We can join with the psalmist and say, this is what I really feel, God. You want me? You, you know me? Well, this is how I am, Lord. I hate those people that abused my son. I hate those people that murdered my wife. I hate those people that blew up the building where my loved one was at. God doesn't want fake Christians. God wants real Christians to share real emotions. He's a big God. He can handle it. You can talk to Him with your real voice. Now we look at this and we say, but is it Christian? <laughs> really? Uh, doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to love our enemies? Jesus does say that in the Sermon on the Mount. And so how do we add this up? David's saying, Lord, I, I hate these people. I, I, I hate them so much because I love you. I, hate the, I love you so much that I hate your enemies, if that makes sense. Well, Jesus does say we're supposed to love our enemies. And he means it. But what kind of love is he talking about? David's expressing an emotion, a feeling. You know that God even expressed these kind of things? When he say, if you look in Romans, he said, Esau I hated. That doesn't mean that he, that it, what's, what's he talking about there? 
So, so we, we come to this and we say uh, David is expressing emotions and feelings because he can, because his God wants him to be real, because his God is present, because his God already knows everything anyway, and his God sees his heart anyway, so he expresses his feelings. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want him to love his enemies. And here's what I mean. If, uh, <clears throat> if you have somebody that takes you to court, say, let's just say somebody sues you, and you know they're unjust, you know it's, it's evil, you know it's wrong, and, and, and you know they're trying to take your, your money that, that you've earned so hard, you've worked so hard for, or somebody, you know, somebody, uh, you know, violated your child or something. And so we come to that and we say, uh, when, we, when we hear the, the, the teaching, love your enemies yourself, is Jesus saying I'm supposed to have warm feelings for that person? That I'm supposed to have warm fuzzies? Like, love your enemy, does that mean, like, no matter what, I'm just going to like this person. Hey, buddy, that's just stealing my life. Man, I just love you. In a romantic sense or an emotional sense. No, when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's talking about an active sense. He's saying, as I gave my life for that person, for you, you lay your life down. As I gave everything to take care of, of you, as I, as I gave everything to lift you up, as, as I sought your benefit, to love your enemies means that as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, this person that's ripping me off and, and suing me, I might not have warm fuzzies about him. I might li not like him. This person that violated my child, I, I might not ever warm up and ever like this person, but if I see this person broken down on the side of the road like a blowout, God says, love him. Love your neighbors yourself. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to help him change his tire. I'm going get, to get him to safety. I'm going to risk myself for him as Jesus gave himself for me. That's an act of love. That's a passionate love. That's, that's a real love. Not just a warm emotion or a warm feeling. You see the difference? If I'm going to love that person that wrecked my child, that's going to take a supernatural work of God in the emotional sense, in the, in the warmth, I, I care for you as a buddy, I love you as a friend sense. But regardless, I am called to live a life of sacrifice, a sacrificial love, an agape love, of giving myself away love. And I, I don't have this on the slides, but... Proverbs 25, verse 21, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. The love that Jesus says of your enemies, that's an Old Testament. There's passage after passage in the Old Testament about loving our enemies, giving ourselves away, but we can be real. Do I have to wait until I, I, I have a warm feeling for someone to love them? Absolutely not. I'm going to be a good Samaritan to my neighbor even though racially his people hate my people, etc., etc., etc. And so we, we, we go back to our passage um, and, and we, we see this, this, this call to be real people and this call to live in the presence of God. And we share our emotions and we share our feelings. And, and as we are able to share our real feelings and our real emotions, God deals with, with, with who we are and where we are. But it's much better to go to God with it. And in these imprecatory psalms, these, these, these songs that are so hard this way, and there's many that are much worse than this, what happens is David is giving over to God his problems. He's giving over to God his rage. 
He's giving over to God his anger. And therein God can work in him and God can change him. So David does that. But, but, <laughs> so David is, is at this point where he's, he's praised God for, for making him. He's, 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 he's in awe of God's knowing him. His, all the thoughts of God, they're so precious to him. And, and then he, he's, he gets worked up and his response is, God, I, I love you so much, I can't stand it when people can't stand you. I can't stand it when people sin against you. I can't stand it when people fight against you. I, I just wish you'd kill them all. And, and, and then he steps back, perhaps. Because when you're real with God and you can be honest with God and you can be open with God, then God can work in your conscience. And God can work on you to make you come back to His heart and His ways. And I think that happens in verses 23 through 24. He says, you know, when you're pointing at somebody, there's always, what, three fingers pointing back at you? <laughs> Learn that as a kid. So David's saying, oh, I hate those wicked people. And I think he gets conscious struck here about his own status and his own sense of holiness. And he goes, oh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he started off the psalm by saying, oh, you've searched me, Yahweh. You searched me and you've known me. You, you know me inside and out. Praise God. And, and now he's rec recognizing sin and evil maybe in his own heart. And he says, oh God, I come back to you again and, and I ask you to search me again. To look deep inside again. To sift me again. To sort me again. To discern me again. And cleanse me again. Because I want to be led by you. See, when we're open with God and real with God and transparent with God, these things come around. The Holy Spirit works in our life and it convicts us and moves us towards intimacy with God in a new and a fresh way. God, if there's anything that's offensive in me, please change me from the inside. If there's anything that troubles you or gets in the way of our relationship, please change me, Lord. Please take it from me. Uh, in other words, he's saying, judge me again, Lord, so that you can lead me. Judge me again, Lord, so that you can shepherd me because I want to be led by you. And, and who could pray that prayer? If you are afraid of God and, is, and is like he's going to smote you, and if, you, if you're always walking on eggshells in a legalistic way that he's just going to destroy you if you do anything wrong, uh, you're not going to be able to pray a prayer like this because you're afraid that he's not working in your best interest. But if you're this person who knows that God loves you, knows that God cares for you, knows that, that you matter to God, that God is, is, is always working for your benefit and your good, you can come back and you can say, God... I trust you with my life. I want to be led by you. You've always done good to me. You've always had the best interest at heart for me. And so I ask you again to lead me because I want to walk on the way everlasting. I don't want to get off course. I don't want to get far from you at all. Take me, Lord, and lead me. Uh, that, that's that, that last prayer in verses 23 24. It's a prayer of submission that comes from a trusting of God and comes from a loving of God and a knowledge that God loves me. <clears throat> Search me, Lord, so that you can lead me. Judge me, Lord, so you can shepherd me 
so that I'll always be walking in intimacy with you. That's what I want. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, David's reflection on God's uh, knowledge of him, God's presence with him, God's intricate weaving of him, God's thoughts of him, it means that in David's day, God was pursuing him. And on this side of the cross, how much more does it mean that God came from heaven to earth to go to the cross to pursue you, to bring you to himself? You matter to God. God cares deeply about you. God loves you. He's committed to you. Don't you ever forget it. If you're in this time, this season, where you're wondering, where is God? He seems distant. He seems detached. He's not. He's not. He's given everything for you. Will He cease to give the lesser? Trust in the Lord's love and concern for you. You matter to God. Would you stand in His presence, please? So Lord God Almighty, we, uh, we thank you for your scriptures in our, in, our, in our worldly sense, in our worldly way of thinking, in our religious way of thinking. We would think that in everything we have to earn love from you, or we, have, we would think that we'd have to earn your respect, or earn your attention, or earn uh, your salvation. But we know from the scriptures that we're saved by grace alone, and faith alone, through Christ alone. And you come, and you grab a hold of us, and you take a hold of us, and you love us, and you don't stop, and we worship you for it, Lord. As David praised you, we praise you today. As David acknowledged you and confessed you, we confess and acknowledge you today as our God. Thank you, Lord, for wanting a real relationship with us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to express our heart to you, our emotions to you, our feelings to you. Thank you for hearing us and forgiving us and for making us yours. We love you too, Lord. Lord, send us out in the world as gospel ambassadors, as men and women to share how great you are and proclaim your death on the cross and your resurrection. Make us a people that make much of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless everybody. Go in peace. Power of the Lord. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless. Mm -hmm.